May I begin by introducing myself. My name is Adeladus Kilangi. I teach law at uh, St. Augustine University of Tanzania, which is in Tanzania. But I also serve as member of the African Union Commission of International Law. Uh, this is for the period from 2009 to uh, 2015, and I'm currently the president. Today, I'm honored to speak about the establishment of the African Union Commission on International Law and the question of fragmentation of international law. Essentially, I would like to speak about fragmentation of international law. But maybe in doing that, I would like to bring about uh, the dynamics brought about by the establishment of the African Union Commission on International Law. I should also probably state right from the onset that uh, here we are basically speaking about the history of development of international law and the many dynamics that I encountered uh, in that regard. Uh, international law has a long history and it has reached a point where there is a feeling and sentiments among international legal scholars that uh, the international legal regime is fragmenting so much. And this is exemplified uh, by the establishment of many international organizations, some of which are global in character, some are regional, and some are sub-regional. And this also goes hand in hand with the whole issue of uh, regionalization of international law, as a consequence of which uh, there is uh, creation of the so-called mean regimes of international law, uh, because each region would have its own system, and uh, within that system, you have laws, you have institutions. And these laws and institutions, in a way, create a mean regime of international law. And this is what I want to speak about. Um, maybe the starting point should be the discussion about the international uh, legal regime itself. We, we call international law as a legal regime. Uh, and this concept, as we all know, comes from legal theory. Uh, when we speak about a legal regime, uh, and in other words, we say it's a legal system, it's a system of law which has a set of law or laws derived from various sources. It must also have institutions. A legal system also has concepts and principles that are developed within that legal system and applicable within that legal system. And we say international law is a legal system because principally it has a set of, uh, set of laws derived from different sources. And then within it there are institutions. And of course, there are concepts and principles which have been uh, developed uh, within that system. 
So international law is a system. But then, when you talk of any legal system, the basic important thing is the coherence within that legal system. That's the most important thing. And what does coherence in a legal system mean? Coherence in a legal system, it means there is unity. Unity, that means there, is, there are no conflicts within the laws. You know, there is harmony within the legal system. The legal system holds together. And in other words, there is lack of conflicts. Conflicts of interpretation, conflicts of what legal principles actually mean. And should there be any conflicts, usually within a harmonious and coherent legal system, there should be mechanisms for resolving those conflicts. Uh, in some legal systems, that takes place by way of arranging legal norms in a hierarchy. So just in case some principles collide or in a conflict, then the one that is higher on the hierarchy takes precedence. There are also principles of interpretation and many other principles. But at the end of the day, the most important thing in the legal system is that it is coherent. But now comes the question of fragmentation. And I would uh, discuss a little bit at a later point in time as to what is fragmentation. And how does the question of fragmentation comes in within the international legal uh, system? But just to try to understand fragmentation, fragmentation is a situation where you have possibilities of conflict. Co possibilities of conflicting positions within the legal system, possibilities of conflicting interpretations within the same legal system, and uh, possibilities of conflicting jurisprudence within the same legal uh, system. And this can be brought about by many factors. I'm going to discuss about the possible factors that uh, cause fragmentation. But one of the reasons is that you have various sources of the law, and probably these various sources are generated from various mean uh, legal systems within the bigger legal systems, and then you do not have mechanisms for harmonizing these, and therefore, uh, at the end of the day, you have the problem uh, of uh, interpretation. If I could move now to the factors and reasons which uh, might cause or have been causing fragmentation within the international legal system, and I would want to begin by reminding ourselves, I think everyone understands that uh, by now, Article 38, Sub-Article 1 of the Statute of the International Court of Justice is considered as an authoritative statement of the sources of international law. So we have treaties, we have custom, we have general principles of law, we have writings of highly qualified jurists, and you have decisions of courts and tribunals. These would be the elements that I would touch upon as I speak uh, of uh, fragmentation. Now, for the reasons 
which cause fragmentation first. And this has been noted by many international law scholars. And here, I would want also to mention that uh, the International Law Commission, I think, has done a lot of work in this particular area and has done a lot of analysis in that particular area. But first and foremost is the fact that there is an expansion of the scope of international law and also diversification of the subject matter of international law. Going again to the history of development of international law, we understand that when international law was emerging, there were very few areas which it used to uh, govern. Um, matters of war and peace, freedoms of using the seas, and diplomatic relations among states. These were the key subject matters that were uh, being governed by international law uh, from its inception. But as we know, the scope has broadened so much. International organizations have come in and have brought you know, a new dimension in international law. The consideration of an individual in international law, originally an individual was not a subject of international law, but then an individual is being considered. So human rights law comes in, and even as, I mean, aspects of humanitarian law also uh, come in. International criminal law also developed in that perspective. And now, it seems like the expansion of international law is endless. So it covers now matters of investment, matters of trade, matters of finance, you know, matters of use of airspace, and the list can be, can be uh, endless. But maybe the most important thing to note is that in this expansion, there are two dynamics. There is, firstly, the subject matter expansion. So as I've said, the subject matter expansion, that means the scope, you know, the, the, the matters that are being catered for by international law, you know, have increased in number. But there is also the geographical dimension of it. And as a result, you have what we call regionalization of international law. Now, what's the consequence of that? Regionalization of international law, for example, means certain regions create their systems to cater for specific matters, which are also matters which are catered for in the general regime of international law, they also create institutions like courts and tribunals. The international organizations themselves that are formed by these regional uh, entities, because uh, regional organizations are also called international organizations, uh, maybe of a regional nature or sub-regional nature, we understand that they have the impact they have the impact of generating what is called customary law of regional organizations or customary law of international organizations. That's one aspect of it. But I also conclude many treaties. Now, with the many treaties that are being concluded by uh, these organizations, there comes the potential for conflict. But then we have also talked about these organizations generating customary international law. And the problem could be that customary international law generated by one organization could have some differences with customary international law generated by another organization. 
And in such a way, therefore, you have a possibility uh, of conflict and therefore uh, a fragmentation of international law. Um, the other reason which would uh, lead to fragmentation of international law, but which is closely linked to the question of subject matter expansion and regionalization of international law is the emergence of the concept of special law and general law in international law, technically sometimes known as lex specialis and lex generalis. In this particular phenomenon, at least jurists have agreed that we have the general system of international law which would govern matters generally, but also we have specific regimes of international law uh, which now cater for specific issues. If I could give examples, for example, matters of humanitarian law, these are specific issues. Matters of human rights, these are specific issues. Matters of criminal justice, these are specific issues. And so these are specific regimes of international law. And these are specific regimes based on subject matter. You could also have specific regimes which are created uh, under the regional, uh, regional regimes of international law. So let's say, for example, a European regime, it could also be considered as a specific regime within international law. You could have the African regime, you could have the inter-American regime, etc., etc. The problem or the issue is that there is a principle which has been developed with international law and is exemplified in the maximum, maxim that uh, uh, lex specialis derogat lex generalis. So it means that any specific law, you know, keeps in abeyance any general law. But then that has a lot of problems uh, within it. Uh, international scholars have been juggling with this uh, matter for so long. Which types of law constitute specific law? In what situations can a specific law displace general law? And many other questions uh, like that. In any case, you have a conflict because the general law and the specific law could all be providing for the same things. But then the principle says specific law will displace general law. But as I said, what are the qualifications? What are the situations uh, within which this could occur? It's another uh, possible area for conflict. The third possible area for conflict is the issue of succession of norms in international law. In the sense that you had uh, previously or prior existing rules of international law. And then other rules of international law are generated without necessarily uh, amending or repealing the other rules. In the domestic legal systems, this is usually not a problem because once you have a newer law, a formal law is usually considered automatically repealed by the new law. 
In international law, it does not happen like that automatically. Even though there is a principle which says that uh, later law usually supersedes prior law. But there are limitations also to the application of that doctrine. Actually, it, it, occur, it, 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 it applies only in situations where you have like two treaties and uh, the parties to, this, to those treaties are the same. And therefore, the assumption is that since you have the same persons who entered into these two treaties and um, the later treaty affects the former treaty in a way, so the later treaty supersedes the former treaty. But then, this is the only limitation that applies to the doctrine. But then what happens if you have two treaties concluded in two different mean regimes of international law and the one contradicts the other? So you have a problem there. You have a problem there. Or you could have an international treaty, but then the parties to these treaties are different. And maybe there are reservations to those treaties, which complicates matters. So you have a problem there. But that's the third uh, factor that you know, uh, causes fragmentation of international law. The fourth factor is the question of hierarchy of norms in international law. I just began by listing what uh, we say are considered as the sources of law, taking from the statute of the International Court of Justice, treaties, custom, general principles, writing of publicists, etc., etc. But then there has been a, a debate among international legal scholars as to whether this listing constitutes a hierarchy of norms such that maybe treaties are the top, etc., etc. And there has not been an agreement uh, uh, to that effect. However, there have developed some ideas and suggestions and concepts that we we can create or we can have a hierarchy in terms of the general principles that guide the international legal regime. And we have like principles of international law which are called use cogens. We have principles which are called peremptory norms. We also have principles of international law which are said to be based on um, the United Nations Charter which is considered as higher in the hierarchy of norms in international law, in a sense that um, any principle of international law which contradicts uh, these standards uh, would be said not to be valid. And I think the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties says specifically on this matter that any treaty which you know, contravenes principles of use cogence um, then uh, that treaty should, should be considered as, as invalid. But then the problem is uh, what principles of international law should be considered to have achieved the status of use cogence? Again, that's a big discussion where there has easily not been an agreement. So which principles constitute peremptory norms? And then which principles, if they are 
promulgated and they are in a consonance with the United Nations Charter are said uh, uh, to be enjoying that level you know, uh, of status. So there are many questions about that. That's again another area where there are uh, conflicts. Uh, as I said, there is no agreement as to which principles constitute use cogens. Uh, there are no agreement as to which principles constitute peremptory norms, uh, which part of the United Nations Charter is most pertinent, and which parts of the Charter uh, are not pertinent. These are some of the questions that are being uh, raised in international law. Now, having um, talked about the, the, the whole question of fragmentation of international law, and uh, the reasons and factors you know, that cause that uh, fragmentation, uh, may I now discuss the question of the African Union Commission on International Law and uh, the whole question of fragmentation of international law? Because as I said at the beginning, uh, my main intention will be to discuss fragmentation, but then to bring uh, the African Union Commission on International Law into that picture. But maybe I should start by saying that when we discuss the African Union Commission on International Law, uh, that would be the narrow view of the matter. Maybe the broader view is about international law and the African continent. And interestingly, there have been proposals, though not in agreement, by international legal scholars that uh, when we talk about Africa and international law, are we talking about international law in Africa or African international law? And as you can see, these are two different things. International law in Africa, you are talking about principles of international law that have been developed and now they're being applicable in the African continent. Whereas the latter, speaks about principles of international law being generated from the African continent. So this is the debate. And I would begin that part of discussion by pointing out that it's not true as some of the scholars uh, would have wanted to point uh, that the continent of Africa had not been in contact or in touch with international law because there were relations between chiefdoms, there were principles regulating long distance trade, which usually was interstate. In that practice, elements of international law were generated. But maybe to point out that uh, modern international law uh, came in contact with the continent of Africa in a slightly negative way. It was more through uh, colonialism. Now, as a, a result of that, um, this had a consequence on the way the African continent embraced international law, especially after, after uh, independence. And so we see the trend in Africa after independence in terms of its internal relations and the relations with the rest of the world, the approach has mostly been political. Uh, but then we see that as um, days go by and many changes, you know, taking place, 
Uh, the African continent has come to the realization that uh, uh, actually international law plays a very important role in many of its aspirations. And one of those aspirations is the question of regional integration. Because the African continent envisages integrating more, but then it has been realized that uh, you know, regional integration has to lie on international law so much because many aspects and issues in the integration scheme uh, must be governed by international law. And so I could say this was then um, the renaissance of international law within the African continent. And this was one of the reasons that formed you know, the basis for establishing, uh, for establishing the African Union Commission on International Law. If you read Article 5, sub-Article 2 of the Statute of the African Union Commission on International Law, you will see that this commission was established to be the chief advisory organ of the African Union on matters of international law. And it's an advisory organ to the African Union itself, um, as well as to the organs of the African Union and to the member states. And this commission was also established for purposes of uh, progressive development and codification of international law. And if you go to the broader mandate of this commission, it is tasked to undertake a revision of treaties of the African Union as well as its predecessor, namely the Organization of African Unity. It is also tasked to work on the development of customary international law in Africa by studying the practices of member states you know, the practice which has been sufficiently established among member states to see whether that one generates uh, elements of customary international law. This commission is also tasked to carry out studies on matters of international law of interest to the African Union and its member states. And it's also tasked to promote the teaching, study, excuse me, and a dissemination of international law in the African continent. But you see, as, as I said, I'm talking about fragmentation of international law, and I, I bring aboard the African Union Commission on International Law. How does it fit in the picture? There have been some sentiments among scholars that perhaps the African Union Commission on International Law uh, will further the fragmentation of international law because it will facilitate into consolidating a mean international regime for Africa. Now, there are two schools of thought um, which react uh, to those sentiments. The first school of thought um, is of the view that truly the Commission of International Law of the African Union will further the fragmentation uh, of international law because it will facilitate the creating of uh, international organizations in Africa, um, the regional ones, sub-regional ones, there will be courts and tribunals. It will assist in developing concepts, maybe principles, new principles and concepts. Maybe it will come up with a new jurisprudence 
or it will feed into the work of other organs and therefore assist in coming up you know, with the new jurisprudence in the matters of international law and therefore in that way uh, indeed uh, uh, it will help into you know, causing further fragmentation of international law. And, and vivid examples have been given, uh, for example, when Africa came up with the African Charter on Human and People's Rights, it enshrined some new concepts which were not uh, there in the global system. So these are some of, the, uh, some of the observations. But then there is another school of thought which also thinks that maybe the establishment of the African Union Commission on International Law will further consolidate uh, international law. And this comes from the realization that in any case, international law will always exist in its general perspective, but also in its regional perspective. Because there are matters of concerns to the global community, but there are also matters of concerns to a certain region uh, alone. And uh, having these mini regimes would not necessarily uh, cause a conflict with the general uh, regime of international law. That's one, that's one, one, one argument. But the other, the other reason is that there are problems which appear to be peculiar for Africa. And therefore, they need jurisprudence which is developed from the context of Africa. Also considering the general history of international law that principles have always been uh, developed within certain contexts or within certain need. So when there were so much wars and problems with the use of the seas, for example, that's where we had the, uh, the law of war and peace, and we had the law on the use of uh, uh, waters, freedom of the seas. These were the context that you know, generate principles of international in that respect. For Africa, there are problems of borders and boundaries. This problem is bigger in Africa than elsewhere in the world. There is the problem of sharing of water bodies, uh, such as lakes and rivers. There is the question of uh, management and control of natural resources. The problem of internal displacement, for example, is more pertinent in Africa than elsewhere. The question of um, democratization and change of power and many others. Um, these are problems which are more pertinent in Africa, and therefore, uh, because international law would always develop within a certain context, it appears, therefore, that uh, uh, maybe proper development of principles and jurisprudence with regard to these matters can take place in the context uh, of Africa. But also, there is that function of the, uh, of the Co uh, Commission of International Law to promote international law in Africa. And that this mandate was given to the Commission in the realization that international law has not been appreciated uh, so much in Africa to the extent that is required. And here, we are talking about the global principles of international law, you know, which are acceptable by the world community at large. And therefore, on the other side, we're actually saying uh, the, the, the commission is there also 
to help the African continent appreciate that we have principles of international that have already developed and that the African continent is generally in agreement with, but that uh, these principles have not been appreciated so much uh, in, the, in the countries of the continent of Africa. In that way, it will be consolidating further international law and not fragmenting uh, international law. In conclusion, maybe I would like to say that, in my view, fragmentation of international law cannot be avoided, so long as many issues continue to emerge and they need regulation, not at the national level, but at the international level. Also, specific issues are coming up from specific areas of the globe, which would need a, co a contextual uh, response and reaction. These two factors would always make fragmentation a reality. But Africa, like any other continent, it cannot afford to walk alone. So I would see uh, that the way forward should be through consultation and coordination. As Africa works with international law, it should always maintain links, coordination, and consultation with the rest of the world. Because, as a matter of fact, it, um, it is that anything which happens in any part of the world will ultimately uh, affect uh, uh, the rest uh, of the world. Otherwise, I thank you so much uh, for listening. And uh, I think it was a great opportunity to have uh, this uh, opportunity uh, to meet you and discuss about uh, this pertinent matter of fragmentation of international law uh, from the perspective of the African continent. Thank you so much.